0: Hey good people, this is your N.I. Dom. Back with another reflection, and this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So hey, debt reckoning, fixed emotions or freedom, labor or giving birth, and time travel. Um, those are four themes that, are, that have been on me this past week. I'm going to attempt to talk to you about all four of them. I highly doubt that that's going to happen because I'm pretty sure I'm going to fall into a rabbit hole somewhere. But I wanted to let you know the four themes that have been on me this week. Dead reckoning, time travel, fixed emotions or freedom. And giving birth or labor. And I know I didn't give those to you in the same order. Like, anyway. So those are the four things um, that are on me. I'm going to explain that on the other side of the disclaimers. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two theories that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems Together, I identify as an INTJ-8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing social scientist and educator of about 20 years. Oh my gosh, of about 30 years, My, my, my bad. Let's start that over. I am a trained and practicing social scientist and educator of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets of critical race feminism, which basically means I have an intellectual sensitivity to social constructs of power, such as race, class, gender, sexuality, just to name a few. This project is unedited and is unscripted. To know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website. At yourni.dom.wordpress.com. So hey, I uh, will do some disclaimers. Excuse me, some housekeeping. Number one, I'm in my car again, and the car is running. And the windows are up, so I'm going to go between rolling the windows up and down, turning the car on and off. So be prepared to hear that sound. I also want to say, um, I meant to tell you guys this uh, a week or two ago, it's something, it's an irrational experience. And I just want to share, mm-mm. it's coming across as an, as an irrational experience. It may not be irrational at all. But I wanted to share it with you so you guys can make a judgment on it for yourself. I want to know what, I would love to know what you think about it. So a few weeks ago Um I did an episode called Uh what did I call it Posthumous Jambalaya And I believe I'm almost certain that I did That episode Maybe on the 10th It was a couple of days after my Person had Passed away And Um And so I I came and I did that reflection. I just basically was just talking about all of the different emotions and the different experiences that I was sitting with in terms of that person in this new, this person now in a different state in this posthumous, I'd like to say posthumous, but posthumous state. So I named that episode Posthumous Jambalaya. A week later, we did the funeral. And um, I may have told you guys. And I'm trying to figure out if I'm up. Uh, I think I am bothered by it. I'm about to share something with you. I think I am bothered by it. But I don't think I'm bothered a lot. So I'm not really sure to, what to do with being bothered by something a little. You know, usually when you're bothered by something a lot, you know to give it attention and you deal with it. You're not bothered by anything, by it at all. You just move on. So what do you do when you're bothered by something a little, right? It's not enough to, to really take any action. It's not enough to spend a lot of time with. But it's there all the same. So I want to tell you, so... My person left my sister in charge of all of her affairs. And I kind of knew that that was going to happen. I knew that long before. Um, nope, that's not true. I was going to say I knew that long before my person ever got sick. I don't think that's true. I think I had assumed that I would be the one to do it. I didn't account for the fact that my person really did make arrangements for my sister to, to be in charge. See, if, 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 if my, my person didn't make those arrangements, by default, I would have been the person. So I think I assumed that I would be the person to do that. However, I also knew that there was a chance that there was gonna be a competition or a battle with my sister on who would be the person to take charge. And I had always said I wasn't gonna fight for that. I'm not doing that battle. So my person actually did make arrangements for my my sister to be in charge and so Um, I do have feelings about that. Um, you know, everything, every, all the feelings that I have right now are complicated. Um, uh, that's one of the things I was going to talk to you about more about complicated emotions. That's one of them. It's not big though. And I really feel the need to stress that. Like that feels really important to me. It is a feeling. It's noticeable. But it's not one that I'm losing any sleep over. I'm not. But it's there. I think I'm really struggling with that emo those emotions. They're emotions that I'm having. They're not catastrophic. They're not consuming. They're just not. But they are there, and I have to navigate them. And I'm not 100% sure what to do with that. But anyway, so my sister, being the one in charge, so that's one set of emotions around. I'm the oldest. I was raised to be responsible. I, I got in trouble if I wasn't responsible. So in the moment that matters, almost the most to be responsible, I've been removed. I was removed from that. Yet, I wasn't, I'm not going to give my person the satisfaction of me begrudging that, me fighting for it. I won't do it. You know, I had somebody who told me that my person, that was the one last thing she could do to cause strife maybe, maybe I'm in a place right now where I'm really trying to not vilify her. Um, I just really need to sit with, I just need to sit with some of the more positive memories. But <laughs> the, the harmful and hurtful ones are still there and they still pop up. So I'm just wrestling with that. So in the attempt, in an attempt to be like... No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have conflict over this. We're definitely not gonna have strife over it. Mom, I'm 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 pretty I'm doing pretty okay with that commitment, that vow. But anyway So, you know, just falling back, letting my sister be the one in charge. But my sister doesn't want that message out there. And I don't know this is me speculating because I think it's more than a speculation but I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt let's just call it speculation Um, I don't even know if it matters but I I, this is what this is what I'm perceiving that my sister doesn't want that perception out there that she's the one in charge and that I was erased I think that's what it is I don't think she wants the perception out there that I was erased from that role or that I was yeah from the role that so it's all good it is all good it's fine (laughs) you guys know when I start going it's fine (laughs) but is it but anyway so she Uh, In her trying to do what I call, I don't call, somebody else gave me this language. I think the husband and wife team gave me this language. Image management, where you're trying to manage other people's perception of your image. You're trying to give off an image and you're trying to control that image, the perception of that image. I think my sister doesn't want the perception out there that I was removed from that process. So what my sister's been trying to do is like, oh, we're doing this together. We're making these decisions together. And I'll say we made about 65 to 70% of those decisions. And the reason why that number, I don't know if I could say it's not higher. It could be higher or lower. I don't really know. And this is not even a point of the reflection. So I, I don't want to stay here. But it's, you know, I do think I'm going to have to come to terms with all of these complicated emotions that I keep trying to say, I'm fine. I'm moving on. That's what I want to do. I don't know if that's the INTJ me. I don't know if that is the traumatized me. Hell, I got a slight theory that all INTJness is grounded in trauma. Um, But I am not able to tackle that. Um, from a research perspective and if I can't research and validate it then I'm not going to say it so I don't know I don't know I don't know but anyway I'm so belabored I'm unnecessarily belaboring this point I'm frustrated too I wonder why I'm stuck here anyway so my sister so I would say we've made we made a lot of decisions together we really did And I believe there's a part of me that wants to make that percentage higher. There's a part of me that wants to say that we made about 80 to 90% of those decisions together. But there's another part of me that's saying that's just not true. There's a part of me that's saying it's about 60 70%. But I can't, I can't, I can't. To go in there and really interrogate that number would be a reflection in of itself. So let's just say <laughs> let's just say we've made roughly sixty to ninety percent of the decisions together. And that's such a wide range, but let's just be done with it. And then there were decisions that we didn't make. Together she made the decision. But I can tell you, I made no unilateral decisions. So that's probably the significant part of it. So let's just say we made, let's just say, let's say we made 90% of the decisions together. And the other 10%, she you know, she unilaterally made. That's, 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 no, 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 okay, here we go. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do so I can get off of this. Mm. Good night. The need to be precise. <laughs> let's say we made Let's say we made, I think 75% is a good number. She may not agree with that, but I'm going to go with 75%. We made 75% of the decisions together. I think it's still a generous number, but I suspect she would say the number would be higher. Okay. I I think the number is lower. I think she would say the number is higher. So I'm going to meet in the middle and say we made 75% of the decisions together. Okay. And then there was 25% that she made unilaterally. I made no unilateral decisions. That, just so you, so let's sit with that. The reason why I didn't make any unilateral decisions is because I wasn't positioned to make any unilateral decisions. I wasn't given any authority or jurisdiction or power. And that, being the oldest, if you are the oldest and you were raised to be, to be responsible as the oldest, and you will understand that that's significant. Okay, I'm done with that. The point of that <laughs> exercise was simply to say one of the decisions that my sister made unilaterally was about the food at the repast, and so um, I think this is most most cultural traditions after a funeral there is food there's some something there's some type of gathering after the funeral and and then there's food if it were up to me i would have suggested soul food because soul food is comforting food or as my friends in the my white friends in the south would say that's not soul food that's southern food and then I have to say who cooked the food. Like, let's look at the history of that. I- I've talked about this before. I'm not going down that rabbit hole. But anyway, whether you want to call it soul food or southern food or actually any kind of ethnic food that's rich, just rich. There's a lot of richness in it. Um, and probably cooked it with a lot of love. It's comfort food, right? High starch, high starch, high carbs and all of that. So it's, it's comfort food. So if if I would have had my way, we would have had comfort food or soul food at the repast. That's typically what I've experienced at black funerals. But my sister picked a dish and she unilaterally made that decision. She did it. And I just want to say for the record, I actually think. One of the reasons why I don't begrudge my sister being in control isn't the fact that she's doing this. ogre making decisions together—that's this slightly insulting that we're gonna play that game. Like we're gonna play—not that it's not playing like making decisions together. That's not the problem. It's ignoring the fact that I was removed from that role. It's ignoring that. It's ignoring the pain of it, you know. And it is what it is. It is what it is. So I just want to say that I do think my sister did a wonderful job. And in all fairness, I think that she was more connected to my person's world to navigate the different needs that we had because we couldn't do it all by ourselves. So we needed people to help us. And so I think my sister had a better relationship with those people to navigate the needs, and so I think I think she did a really good job. Um, so you know what? I, you understand what I'm saying when I say it's complicated, right? There's a pain. Oh, there's just so many different emotions. It's just so many different emotions. So anyway, anyway, <laughs> good night. All this to tell you about a unilateral decision she made about the food. Here it is. The dish that the food that we had at the repast, let me say this other, let me do this other qualifier. The food that she chose was not traditional repast food. It's called the repast. And she actually asked me, she said, is it repast PASS or repast PAST? And I was like, I think it's past PASS, PASS. And she looked it up and she said, it could be either P-A-S-S or P-A-S-T. I was like, oh, wow. I didn't know that. So anyway, I'm going to say repass. If you know it as repassed, then just understand that I've already done the word. You know, we've already looked up the word. But anyway. So even though soulful is ex- like traditionally how we do um, the repass in black funerals, not we all black people, but we, my black family the the dish that my sister chose wasn't just I just have never heard of it. it's not like it's not an unusual it's not even a common dish in our family like when I think about all of the foods my my grandmother made my person made even my sister no one in my family has ever made this dish so it's just not a common dish for me I probably have consumed it all of maybe three times in my life. So it's just not a common food item. Okay. <laughs> all right. You probably have just stopped listening to me because you're like, this is a ridiculous conversation. As I do think it is ridiculous. I'm with you on that. Um, it was jambalaya, y'all. I told you all of that story to tell you that the repast food for my person's funeral was jambalaya. And it didn't even occur to me until after the funeral that I had did an episode called Posthumous Jambalaya. Mm -hmm -hmm. (laughs) I want to sit with that for a second. The episode, I called it Posthumous Jambalaya. I named that episode a week before the funeral. I named that episode before we even planned the funeral, before we planned the funeral, before we planned planned the uh, repast. There was nothing about that funeral or the repast that was on my mind when I named that episode, Posthumous Jambalaya. So the irony that that would be the food in my person's posthumous state, it's just there's irony there. it's it's irony and that sends me into an irrational space like that's not a coincidence so I can leave it at just oh that's ironic oh that's interesting that's a that's an interesting coincidence I could do that and you listening to me you might be doing that but I'm I just I'm not there I don't think it's a coincidence Well, what it is exactly, I don't know. (laughs) I just don't think it's a coincidence. But I can't explain it any other way because that sends me into an irrational space. I I just wanted to, I've been wanting to tell you guys that, that that irony, that just, I thought thought it was interesting. And I ended up sharing that with my sister. And she was like, oh, wow. And then she's like, well, what was the episode about? And she was like, she's like, send me that episode. And I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, no, no. I said, this is a private journal that I just make public. I said, it's a private journal that I've made public, but it's still private. It's just like your journals. You don't let me read your journal. And so my sister said, <laughs> she was like, well, I'm going to read it anyway after you're gone. She's, I'm going to hear it anyway after you're gone. Because she's like, I'm going to be the person that's going to be responsible for your, your, your fear. So... I'm going to listen to it. And I said to her, that's fine. But we won't argue about the things that I've said. Because, <laughs> right, she listens to the journal. There are going to be things she doesn't agree with. And then she's going to want to debate it. Or she might have feelings about something she's heard. That she's not going to appreciate how I framed something. And we're just not going to do that. So, I just wanted to tell you that. Anyway, that was housekeeping. That was the second housekeeping that's all I got that's all I did because I really feel like I'm in the reflection now (sighs) so what what did I tell you the four things that have been on me this week hold on let me go get I did force myself to write it down because my brain is just not holding a lot these days hold on one second okay dead reckoning fixed emo fixation fixed emotions or freedom time travel giving birth or labor I'm going to start with dead reckoning um, and that's, this is really what I wanted to talk about last week. When, um, the episode I did about, I don't even know what I named it, but, oh, the truth shall, the truth shall set you free. Where I dealt with, uh, re examining authenticity and something else. I don't know. Anyway. So I looked up the concept of dead reckoning. I'm going to see if I can read the definition to you. Hold on a second. In navigation, dead reckoning is the process of calculating the current position of a moving object by using a previously determined position or fix and incorporating estimates of speed, heading, direction, and elapsed time going to read that first part over. In navigation, dead reckoning is the process of calculating the current position of a moving object by using a previously determined position. I don't know if that uh, recorded. A couple of weeks ago I did a recording and for about two minutes this dead silence. I don't know what that was about. I have no, I had never heard that before in my recordings. I can't even tell you how that happened. That's another thing I've been meaning to tell you. At least on my end, it goes silent for about two minutes. And that's an episode that people have downloaded. So either it's not, it didn't happen on your end or you did like I did. And you just fast forward to see if there was more content. That's what I had to do when it went silent like that. I had to fast forward like, oh, it picks up somewhere. Anyway, so I don't know. Uh, Hopefully you you guys are hearing me. But anyway, um, so Dead Reckoning is about measuring distance velocity by using a previously established benchmark. And now, I, I wanna—I really want to play with that as a metaphor, but I'm not ready. I don't think I'm ready. The reason why that concept came up is because I found a website. I was looking this morning. <sighs> Rewind. Let me tell you. Let me tell you why. Okay. Oh my God. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm dealing with a lot of emotions right now. So. I've been dealing... in. Remember, I've just been dealing with some complicated emotions. That's not true. It is true, but that's not what I'm trying to say. I have been trying to find language for the emotions I'm feeling. And I can't find it. And I've been looking, researching, and researching, and researching. And I'm trying to find something that would describe the emotions that I'm feeling. And I can't find anything. The closest that I've gotten to would be repressed repressed love or blocked love. When my person first passed, I I was the first week I was saying unrequited, unrequited love, and I think I may have mentioned that to you in my list last week. And unrequited love is love that's not returned. It's when you're in love with a person and they're not loving you back. So the love is one directional. And so that fits. That kind of feels like it fits. Um, But for whatever reason, that framing wasn't an, hasn't been enough for me. It's like, oh, I want something. Because most of the literature out there, let me turn off the car. Most of the literature out there is about unrequited romantic love. It's not about unrequited familial love. So it doesn't really explain, doesn't really get into the nuance of how I'm feeling. So I've been really looking for that. Uh, if you guys have some readings for me, um, I would love if you could send that to me. Um. Then I think I mentioned to you about vote love that's like stored in a vault and every once in a while when that vault is cracked excuse me pain or grief every once in a while when that vault is cracked I can access the emotion and I said I didn't like to think about that because when we had to pick up the burial site of my person we had to determine what kind of vault we were going to put her body in that's a shitty thing to think about It's just a shitty thing to think about. But we had to go through that. So I don't like that. I don't want to use that metaphor. And it kind of works though. Because. Whatever this thing is that I'm feeling. This is what it feels like. This is what it feels like. I'm going to try to describe it to you all. It feels like there's a lot. There are a lot of emotions. I got the sense that there are a lot of emotions. I don't know how I know it. I can't, ex- that's what I'm trying to explain. There are these intense emotions. I know that they're there, but I cannot access them. Yet the fumes of those emotions that are stuck in this vault, the fumes are starting to rise. So I can feel the fumes, I can connect to the fumes of the emotions. But not the actual emotions. And I feel better when I can read about things and understand it and analyze it. So it's really sucky right now that I cannot find any literature to explain what it is that I'm feeling. So every day I get up and I try to look for an article that would explain this feeling. Because although I just explained it to you, I'm like, there's got to be a n- nuance to that. I want to know more about it, and um, I just can't access. It. I can't find the article. So maybe a day ago or two days ago, something hit me. Look up abandon, um I look up a, abandonment neglect and all of that literature sends me somewhere else it sends me to our uh, articles that are about narcissistic parents parents who are immature parents who are trauma who have been traumatized and while those articles are relevant they're not new i've already processed that so that's not that's not helping me in what I'm feeling now. Cause it's not helping me to understand the repression of that emotion, those emotions to know that those emotions are deep and I can't access them. I can only access the fumes. And honestly, I've only been able to really access the fumes of those repressed emotions within the last seven to 10 days. The fumes are starting to surface. And I've been told by people that those emotions, because, you know, you're so busy taking care of affairs and then trying to get back to some kind of normalcy. They said it'll take a while before the real the real emotions will hit you. And maybe, maybe, maybe what I'm feeling is normal. It has nothing to do with the kind of relationship I have with my person. And it's possible. I don't know. I suspect I just would imagine that the type of relationship that I had with her would complicate this. How could it not? So then a couple of days ago, something said look up and I don't even have the framing, but something to the effect of what it would be like for a child who was given up at birth, a child who was either in foster care or who was adopted what would they feel if they found out that their biological parent had passed? You guys, I wanted to keep my phone on because I just, there ne- I need to be able to stay accessible. But my family is getting ready to go through some kind of text storm and I don't want to, um, I don't want that to keep coming through the recording. So I just turned it off. Although I didn't want to have the phone off. I didn't want to have my indicators off. But anyway. So I wanted to look up. When you're adopted. What happens when you're adopted. And you find out your. Biological person. Your biological parent has passed on. And uh, that didn't really help. Those articles didn't really help me because they just didn't. I, I don't even want, I can't even explain to you why now. Then I, something said, look up. There's a word for it. And now it escapes me. When somebody has been abducted, kidnapped for a long period of time and that person who kidnapped them is their caregiver their provider so they develop a a, an emotional relationship with the person that has kidnapped them abducted them abused them and so it's a word for it. it it'll come i had the word yesterday and now i'm on this recording i can't recall it I promise you it's going to come once I'm done with the damn recording. But you listening to me, you're probably like screaming it out. You know the word. It's just escaping me right now. But um, so I went to look that up. Like, what is it like to love a person that harmed you? And then you have to also grieve the loss of that. And I just think that that's confusing. And to make it more complicated, I have really been wanting to be in a a space. I've been really wanting to be positive. I don't want to think about my person in a negative way. I just don't. I just don't want to. (laughs) I don't want to. So I think that complicates it. And to add another layer of complication, not only do I not want to think about the negativity I have been able to find some positivity. Like, that's a fact. I said last week, I, in the last five, I would say five to ten years, there was a little bit of a three year period where this doesn't pertain. But in the last ten years, minus three. So, seven of the last ten years. I've figured out how to have a controlled relationship with my person. I figured out how to do it. And in that controlled relationship, a friendship emerged. It was still complicated. But it was a friendship. Now, let's just jump somewhere else. Let's just jump somewhere else. Let me come out of that just for a second. The four themes that I said, one of the four themes was time travel. I think that was on my list last week too and I didn't get to it. And time travel came up because I, I told you guys this. At the funeral, I had a lot of friends from my past show up. And this is significant because through the life of this project, you guys have heard me talk about cleaning, cleaning house with my friendships. That I went through breakup after breakup after breakup with all old friends. And I talked about how each of those breakups were necessary. But when I look at myself as being the common denominator, it's natural for me as a logical person to say if they didn't have a, a, a string of breakups with their friends, I did. So it's on me. Something is wrong with me. And although I can stand firm and say, there was a reason why I had to break up with Sally. There's a reason why I had to break up with Jane. There's a reason why I had to break up with Margaret. There's a reason why I had to break up with Amy. These are all fictitious fictitious names, by the way. You know it. (laughs) Margaret, Jane, Amy. That's funny. Even though I can stand firm and confidently about why I had to break up with them. What I'm not confident about is the pattern of it. Well, that's not true. For for a while, I was not com- confident about the pattern. So how I've gained confidence about that pattern is that I grew in a space that was in- in- incompatible with those people. Number one is about growing not that they didn't grow, we didn't grow together, number one. Number two, I picked those people because they represented familial love. They were, the love that I had with them was familiar. I was mimicking, I was recreating my family of my biological family through my friendship family. And so when I started healing through that biological family, when I started healing through the trauma, you know, I looked at those friends and I was like, no, we can't do that. But they weren't going through a healing, a trauma healing phase. And so, and I talked about how it was comforting to see all of those old friends, people who knew me from when I was six and five and, 14, people who knew my person, it was comforting to see them there. It was, it was really nice. So where I have landed today, I don't know how long this is going to feel, but where I want to land is I love the fact that the doors have been open with mostly all of them, not there two, uh, But there are a few of them that it's like, no, we don't hang. We don't need to hang out anymore. We can't hang out anymore. We can't hang out like we used to. But we don't have to be angry with each other. There's no reason to be angry with each other. <laughs> Uh, okay, I had to start the car back up because I got cold. <laughs> so anyway. Um, oh, God, what was I saying? So the way that those relationships ended, because you don't go from having intense, intimate connections with people, people and then cut them off and then think, oh, okay, we're just going to be associates. Because that's what I was trying to do. I tried to reposition those people. Now, one person tried to reposition me and I, I wasn't having it. That's the one person. That, well, I wasn't going to have it. So when people did that to me, they were like, no, you're not going to reposition us and then think that we're going to be somewhere off as distant friends when we were so very close. No. And that's what happened. I get that. That's not hard for me to wrap my mind around. I get that. So I wanted to be. I wanted to be like, hey, you're in town? Let's go to dinner. Hey, happy birthday. Hey, Merry Christmas. That's the kind of connection I wanted to have with these people. But they weren't having that. So that's what I'm going to try to do now. I don't know if it's going to work out like that. I really, really don't know if it's going to work out like that. But that's what I'm trying to do. And I'll tell you, the other thing that has come up for me, because I have since gone to dinner with them. And I'm like, oh my God. If there was any doubt about why I had to reposition those friends, I can see it so clearly. And I think that there was. I think there was an inkling of doubt that this time travel Going back to those relationships and being around them has been very helpful. Like, uh, you had to make that decision. It's so loud to me. It's so obvious. So I don't know what's going to happen with those connections, but it is my desire to not be in a. Um, I don't. I'm not angry with them anymore. I would be angry if I was stuck trying to do intimacy with them in this to- in a toxic way I mean I could even give you some stories that happened yesterday but I don't want to get off the subject but at some point I'm going to just talk about it's just no it's just no I'm just not there I'm just not there and God I want to just explain that to you but And I don't even remember why I told this. I said, I'm going to take a leap. There was a reason why I jumped over to talk about time travel. Because I was just trying to talk about my person. I don't remember. But in the past, let's just say seven. I'm going to go back now. Seven of the ten years uh, with my person. We've developed a friendship. And maybe that was the reason why I talked about time travel. Because it is the same kind of friendship that I am having with these old people. It's not a healthy connection. So even though I could say we carved out a friendship, I wouldn't say it was healthy. But I'll say it was—it's—it's it's less toxic than what we had before because I was controlling it. Now, now let's just let's just let's just one of the things I thought about last week—not last week, but in the week since I've recorded. Was that I've been so comfortable, I guess, talking about the ills of my person that I haven't talked about my own shit. And I was like, You're not a perfect person. So we're not going to go on that podcast and talk about somebody else's shit and you can't talk about your own. You understand? You know, I get that. I'm not perfect. However,. <laughs> <laughs> I spend a lot of time digging into my shit. I spend a lot of time trying to confront anything that's repressed and coming out in unhealthy ways. I spend a lot of time confronting, which is one of the reasons why I like the Enneagram more. I love the am. I am always going to be an MBTI fan first an in, in Enneagram second. But let me tell you what I love about the Enneagram more. It's because the Enneagram takes you right to the emotions. And it takes you into those unhealthy emotions. People can use MBTI to talk about emotions. But that's not a theory about emotions. It's about a theory. It's a theory about cognition. And then you might say, well, it talks about feelings. Feelings are processed, cognitively processed emotions. So no, it just doesn't. So anyway. So here's the deal. In me learning how to control that relationship. And try to create. it is Now I know why I brought up the time travel. Why I loved it. Because it's really almost parallel. It's almost identical. It's almost identical. I never thought about it until it's just now. This is fascinating. I'm just making a connection. In my head. That I've never made before. So fast forward again. To the time travel with my friends. When I started repositioning them. To be more like a. Like to take them out of the best friend category. You're not functioning as a best friend. This doesn't feel good. But you're cool. You're cool. We're cool. We got history. You love me. I love you. I don't hate you. I actually want what's good for you. I want to celebrate you. They they weren't happy with that. That for them felt abusive. As a matter of fact, I had one friend who said as much. She said it in a number of different ways. Years this long before, um, she said I had a party I think I told you guys this I had a party at my house <laughs> and yes INTJs can't throw parties and as a matter of fact the husband and wife team from personality hackers said that INTJs to do social should do social in, in ways that they can control it so have a party that you can control and then you can show up in that party in a way that best suits you and that's what I learned to do. Giving parties. I should talk about I wanna get back to that to be honest with you. Yeah, that's interesting. I may have mentioned that to you that I want to get back to giving those parties. But I'd like to spend some more time thinking about that in terms of my social me trying to build part of my the lifestyle that I'm trying to design, I'm getting I'm stuck there are things I'm working on that I gotta work on. It's not there. We're not there yet, but I know how to get there. It's just a matter of time. You just gotta work the plan. But the one I haven't, fi- the part of it that I haven't figured out is the social piece. I just haven't figured it out. So I wanna, I'm gonna go back and 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 process the emotion Mm-mm. to see if starting to throw parties would help with that social the social aspect the the social dilemma anyway so i don't know where i was at so i'm sorry Mm y'all when i repositioned these people oh i know what i was gonna say so i had a party once and one of my good friends that were not in that kind of relationship anymore was livid with me She said, the people at that party don't even know how close we are. She said, the people in that party don't know how close we are. And I was like, well, what do you need? She said, there was another friend I had there. She's like, they think that she's closer to you than I am. And I was thinking, and she said, I said, well, I don't know if that, I don't think I'm doing anything that make, I'm not doing anything to, to lift up one friend over the other. I'm going to tell you what the other person is doing. She just jumped in my kitchen. She started helping to serve, you know what I mean? So she just, she presented herself as being close enough to me where she didn't, she didn't ask me if I needed anything. She just did it. You on the other hand, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know if you need me to stand. I said, like, "What do you need? Do you need me to stand up and and introduce you and, and and tell people how? Is that what you need?" And it was a little bit facetious. It was a little bit dismissive of what I did. When I think about it, that was a little dismissive. I was like, "Well, what do you need me to do?" Because it really didn't attend to her fa- uh, feelings. And I don't know if that was me being facetious or if that was just me being an INDJ. What do you want me to do? Because I'm not not broadcasting to anybody. Oh, this friend is closer to me than the other one. No, I'm having a party. This other friend is just jumping in my kitchen, serving my guests, asking them if they need anything, walking around introducing herself, and you're just sitting still. It more than likely is because one was an extrovert and the other one's an introvert. It's probably what was going on, but I couldn't bridge the gap and I could not give any emotions to it because at the end of the day, one of the things that I realized is that that person never, we never really connected on a deep emotional level. She was my, one of my closest friends, but we never connected emotionally. We connected to her emotions but we never connected to my emotions. You know what y'all? I just backed my way into this reflection. because there's another part of the, the list of the four things, fixed emotions or freedom, that's part of it. Because I've been thinking a lot about emotions lately, a lot. I've been thinking a lot about emotions. I've been carving out space for emotions. I'm like, yo, this is a lot. I've been giving too much attention, too much time to emotions. As an INTJ, why the hell? Like something is off. I'm not an INTJ. I'm not an INTJ because I'm spending too much time thinking about emotions. Yet. So I'm like, that's the fixed. I've been really fixed on it. So much where my, sister who who was an ISFP with feeling at the top of her stack she (laughs) she's coming across as the more aloof one um, not emotional she's making non-emotional decisions and I'm the emotional one and you guys don't know how much that eats at my core that eats at my core something is off with that because I don't and I, like I said to her several times, I don't walk through the world with these emotions. I come on this podcast and I talk through them, partly because it's my damn journal, my diary. And having emotions is a natural part of being human. It is the place that I attend to those emotions. But I do not go around in the world. Consciously saying, I need to attend to these emotions in these relationships. I don't. I try to mimic what it's like to be emotionally available. I try to, because now that I understand how important those emotions are in having healthy relationships, right? If yeah. I want to have healthy relationships, I'm going to have to be emotionally available. So I have, to, I have, to, have the knowledge of that. I have a commitment to do better. And so I try my damnedest, but I don't walk around in the world with those emotions. Yet, when I'm in those spaces with family and close friends, those emotions are loud. And they're unaddressed. And I don't know what to do with that. So what I've done with it in the past, you don't know how to tend to my emotions. And I don't know how to communicate those to you. In a way that will get you to... And I'm just going to pull away. That's what I did in the past. I did that in romantic relationships. And I did it in my friendships. This shit that's happening doesn't feel good. I'm not going to tell you that you're hurting me. I'm not going to tell you that my feelings are hurt. I'm not going to do that. And I think some of that has to do with being an eight. Right? Because to tell you, hey, my feelings are hurt, hey, this doesn't feel good, makes me vulnerable. And now I gotta wait for somebody to give a damn about my feelings. I'm not getting ready to do that. Not getting ready to do that. And I'm still not getting ready to do it. As healthy as I'm trying to be, I'm not getting ready to do that. I'm not. So I'm stuck. I'm stuck having the knowledge knowing that those emotions are necessary to have. You know, it's important to tell somebody how you feel. It's important to tell somebody emotionally what you need. That's a healthy thing to do. Yet, I haven't built the type of community that I can say that and then... People attend to it. I read about four articles this morning. And as I'm in this bubble. and this reflection. Talking about those emotions. Uh, I want to recall those articles. I'd love to read some of them to you. I did save them. Um, but I don't only have 30 minutes left. And it's time for me to start trying to bring closure. Also want to tell you. I got about 12 YouTube videos. That um, I recorded audios. You know, I got to turn them into videos. So let me change that. I have 12 YouTube audios that need to be. Um, I always forget this word, not translated. Oh God, I do this every freaking time. Anyway, they need to be uh, processed as videos. So there are audios that need to be. <laughs> it's, it's bothering me that I cannot recall the word. They need to be processed as videos so I can upload them. So what I've been doing over the past three days is I've been going back listening to them because they go back to a year and I'm like, is it still worth me uploading those? And actually, I would say most of them are pretty decent. So I'm going to upload them, but they're going to... If you follow this project sequentially, then you're going to be... It's not going to... You're going to be frustrated because these are audios out of sequence. But if you follow this project because of the the, the pure analysis of, the, of what I'm giving... Then you appreciate it, but it's out of sequence. Okay, so there's no chronology here. So, but I'm gonna upload them anyway. I'm all over the place right now. <sighs> let me try to start bringing some closure, cause I'm all—I literally am bouncing right now. Um, I think what I was—let me just go all the back, way back to what I was trying to say about my person. And this friendship it's the same kind of friendship that, as much as you know up before I hit this record button, and this is what I said to you all last week, we had a friendship that in the last ten years seven of the last ten years, I was able to create a friendship with my person. but now, in this video in this audio um, reflection right now what 's coming to me is a it's the same kind of friendship I created with these friends with who could not where I could not have a emotional connection to them because my emotions were un um too much or unrealistic. And you want to hear something funny? Just, I'm going to tell you my shit. My heart coach, my therapist, tried to make that comment one time. And I shut her ass down so fast. And then I have told her I'm ready to process it. But when she brought it up, I shut it down. And her argument was, and I think I told you guys this before. Maybe you were so wounded in your childhood that you can't feel love. Maybe you just can't feel it. Maybe people really try to love you. They're really loving you, but because you were wounded in childhood, you just can't feel it. And that's a possibility. But I'm going to tell you, if that's true, this is this is how I challenge her. <laughs> then if that's true, then we need to go back to all of the people that you have said you would that's probably a good idea for you not to deal with that person anymore. Why? Why? Because maybe my my emotional barometer is off. Oh, you can say the emotional barometer is off with you. But I can't say that my emotional barometer is off with that other person. You're going to have to make that make sense. That's all I'm asking for. Oh, don't trust them. But trust me, nah, nah, no, 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 no. So I don't think that that's the case, but hey, I'm going to keep the doors cracked on that. Maybe I just can't feel. But the beautiful thing about what's, what's been happening for me in the last six months is I've been exposed to literature that has been talking about uh, healthy emotional relationships. What, is he- what are healthy emotions? emotional intelligence. And that, that literature, it's so validating for me because it's given me words that I didn't have as a child, didn't have uh, words I didn't have as a teenager, as a young adult, hell as a middle-aged adult woman. When I was telling somebody, hey, that love that you're giving me. Yeah, hey, I know you love me. You say you love me. Hey, but that love doesn't feel good. And then they would go, oh, that's just you. Because I didn't have access to the language. And when most of us have been born and raised in toxic love. You lo- then everybody's loving in this toxic way. And then when a person is saying, hey, but wait a minute, this love feels shitty. I don't want that kind of love. Then you're the problem. Why? Because you're you're bringing truth to something. You're speaking up where everybody else is just like, I'm okay with it. She's okay with it. Why are we okay with it? But you're not. You're the problem. Are you guys following that? One of the pieces of content that I've saved, I haven't listened to it yet. The lady I follow, she talks about narcissism. She said one in six people are, are deal with, deal, um, uh, how do you say it, um, contend with narcissistic personality disorder, NPD. One in six, y'all. Damn, that's deep. I have to listen to that content. But that's what the title said. One in six people deal with narcissistic personality disorder. So let's just say that's true. right? Let's just go with it. One in six people deal with narcissistic personality disorder. That means there's a way of loving that's out there. There's a way of toxic loving that's out there that's normalized. And if you happen to have those people all swimming in the same... In the same body of water together, in the same environment, and they now normalize that toxic love. A person that is in that and they say, "Hey, I don't want to love like that. Hey, that doesn't that doesn't feel like healthy love?" They're going to be the problem. They're the oddball in that environment. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? I think that that's the problem. So. I didn't understand I didn't have the language. I didn't know I didn't know what emotional intelligence was. I didn't understand what healthy emotions are. And yes, I am fixed on that. So one of the themes from this past week, fixed emotions or freedom, because I am fixed on it. Is it because I'm really an INFP? Or am I an INTJ that understands that in order to have healthy relationships, I'm gonna have to get that emotional part of me together internally and externally internally I've got to be emotionally available to people no I'm never going to be emotionally driven first but just because I'm not driving with my emotion doesn't mean that my emotions should be inaccessible number one those emotions should not be inaccessible number two they should not be toxic that's fact that's my fact at least that's my truth I'm always going to be analytical first, strategic first. I'm always going to be that way. But in these intimate relationships where I'm not doing strategy, I'm not doing analysis. There's got to be healthy, healthy emotions and it has to, it has to be accessed emotions. That's something I don't fully know how to do. It's something that I believe is true and it's something I want to work on, but I got to work on it. So in, in the, in the advent, I think I can use that word in the advent of not having the language, not having the research, not having the validation that what I was looking for was healthy emotion. I just started putting hella boundaries on my relationships, big time boundaries, either I put boundaries on those relationships or I cut them off and what it looks like on the surface is that I'm the problem this is where my sister is at with me and I'm not trying to put my sister's business out here but I do I am going to take some liberties and say some things because an article that I read today made me think about her When those emotions are repressed, when that woundedness is repressed, it manifests in certain behaviors, certain conditions. And those conditions are all over my sister. Even for people who emotionally dote on others, when you emotionally care for other people, you still could be emotionally wounded. It was a fascinating read this morning. And naturally, I want to share that with my sister. But there's a certain way I have to. There's a certain way I want to be. I want to share it. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure. If I'm willing to do that sharing in the absence of that kind of conversation. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do with that yet. But. But I think I've hit. I really do feel like I got to where I needed to get to this. In this. In this. I'm almost there. Because I've talked about. I talked about the time travel. I talked about the fixed emotions or freedom. I think the only two things I'm trying to get back to that. What the dead reckoning, and then the labor or delivery. One of the things I wanted to say about my person is that she, I would imagine, and I'm almost. I'm almost certain I got this right. That my person felt beat up on by me. Felt beat up on by me. Felt wounded by me. Because of the boundaries I was establishing. Because of the control. Because I did not give her open access to me. You guys know that there's literature. There's text um, uh, information out there. That's called open access. That means... It shouldn't be behind a paywall. It should be just free. There's a big debate. Should, it, should information be free or can you charge for it? If I write something, should I charge you to read it? Or should you be able to access it for free? That's called open access. I stopped being, I was not an open, I was not open access for my person. And she was deeply bothered by that. And I was really good at it. It took me a long time to get there. And I think when I've, one of the problems when I start reading about narcissistic parents or parents who are emotionally immature or, you know, unhealthy parents, parents who couldn't love. One of the things that I don't like about that literature is because it only does this. It says either you stay in that relationship and it's unhealthy or you, you, you go no contact. You totally cut them off. And I didn't do that. I stayed in it with boundaries. Now, somebody listening could say that was not effective. And I I think they might be right. But I would like some literature on that. Because what I did was I set real strong boundaries. And that was my way of having meeting in the middle. But my person didn't like it. And she felt wounded by that. And in her woundedness, she told other people that I was abusive and all of this. And I was thinking about this the other day. God, what would it have been like to be, to have an actual public platform to really address that? Okay, like let's just say, let's take that complaint. And let's validate it. Let's not validate it. Let's legitimize it. You feel like I've been abusive to you. Well, let's contend with it. Take me to task. Publicly take me to task so I can confront that. But never. It was always done behind closed doors where I was not able to speak up for myself. And this is the problem that I'm having with all of these people who are calling to check them on me. Which that's starting to slow down, thankfully. I feel a little sad about it. But I feel mostly liberated. That these people from my person's world who have been calling me, checking on How are you doing? How are you doing? What they don't understand is that I do have resentment to those people. Because you let my person tell you a version of the story that let's just say that's let's just say let's just say the version of the story that my person told these people was it was true. You never helped us. You never helped us to come in and resolve that. You never helped us to do restorative work. You never helped us to restore our relationship. What you did is you allowed that person to characterize me, mischaracterize me, to malign me. In, and then you put it in this love bubble. So now I'm still supposed to be submissive to this person because this person loves me. I'm supposed to be honorable to this person because this person loves me. And now I gotta be in relationship with you, and I gotta act out this love performance. Oh, this person loves me, and all yeah. and it's all a fucking performance. No, I don't want to. I don't want to play that part anymore. So I have two aunts that have been really quiet this past week. They've been uh, unusually quiet with me. And I have to be okay with that. And I think the lesson is for me, and this is the, I don't know. I don't know, y'all. I'm really confused because this is something I said to myself earlier this week. Was I wrong? I should have just went no contact. What would have happened if I just would have gone no contact? Why did I do that? Because that might be unhealthy for me to say, okay, you're hurting me, but I'm not going to go no contact with you. I'm going to stick around, but now I'm going to have these boundaries. And now you not understanding those boundaries as healthy, because usually unhealthy people don't like boundaries. Typically healthy people like boundaries, right? And I've, I've read that. I've read that in the literature out there. You can, that's how you can tell an unhealthy relationship. They don't like boundaries. They feel boundaries are in, uh, an imposition to them. And so here I'm thinking I'm taking the high road. Look at me. I'm involved. I'm healed. And I know how to set healthy boundaries. Look at me. And while I was setting those healthy boundaries, what was being communicated to the other people was that I was cold hurtful and harmful because I did not give unrestricted access to me. This has turned into be a very interesting reflection because I'm pinging between my person and my friends, the parallel there. My old friends, my time travel friends. There's a parallel. And then let's just take it back to the complication and yet I am sad. And I believe, I. this is it. This is it, y'all. I have such a deep pain on the inside of me. It is excruciating. I keep having an image of like a person screaming in anguish, like anguish. And then every time I try to tap into that emotion, what comes up for me is, what is that? What are you sad about? Like my logic kicks in. What are you sad about? You didn't have a relationship with that person. You didn't have an emotional relationship with that person. What the hell are you grieving? That's the feeling that I wish that I could find on the internet. What is that feeling to have that anguish on the inside of you? But then you can't, I can't lean into it. Other people. Other people who are grieving her loss, they can have the emotion, they remember her, and then the emotion comes up and they can lean into it and they can suffer it and they can. Le- but I can't because my logic kicks in and goes, you didn't have that kind of connection with her. So what are you really sad about? So that's why I was trying to look, okay, people, people who were adopted, right? You didn't have that emotional connection with your biological parent, so when they pass, do you grieve them? How do you grieve them? Can you tell me that? Or people who were abducted and they had an emotional connected with, connection with their abductors. How do you grieve that? Because that's what I'm dealing with. And I, I'm sorry. And I'm going to tell you if in a week, a month, a year, in a decade, if that changes... If my analysis of this situation changes, I'm coming back to you. I don't know if I still have this project. I'm going to find a way to come back and share this with you all. I'll be the first one to, I will. My grandfather said, tell the truth and shame the devil. I will tell the truth. But for now, I didn't have that kind of, I did not have a loving relationship with my person. It wasn't, it just wasn't, it just wasn't, and it, you know, you think about like, maybe it was like a season, it wasn't a season, it was, a, it was a lifespan, I think it was the lifespan of the relationship, let's say, a, a, like, you know, my person I will agree well, I don't know. My person says that that loving relationship ended when I turned around 12 years old. <laughs> and I always say that you can just talk about her wellness because mo- it's pretty common knowledge that around 10, 12, 13, excuse me, 12, 13, 14, those teenage years, those preteen years, teenagers go through it and most they go through it, you know it's just they go through this, this, this shitty emotional phase. They know everything, then it just their emotions are all over the place, but when i went through that very normal developmental stage, my person took exception to it. And i found an article that talked about um, parents who are having a hard time connecting emotionally to their kids. And it was a really positive, you know, it was a positive article because most of the time articles are written on the other side of that. Articles are written for parents who are emotionally unavailable. It's written for the child of that. Or you start characterizing the parent. And, oh, but I really love this article because it didn't vilify. It just said, hey, this is probably why you're not emotionally connecting to your kid. Here are three reasons. I saved that article, by the way. Um, You're probably like, what are you telling us for? You won't share with us anymore. And that's a valid argument. Valid. I've been thinking about my damn newsletters that I started with you on. I mean, I saved them. Why I won't send them out. It's an issue of time. I think a lot of it is that I started this this idea that I was going to do these newsletters in this last season. Excuse me, season seven that started in August of last year. That's at the height of us fighting the cancer Right. So I think I'm going to give myself a little bit of a reprieve just because I was doing that with the cancer. And then I was doing the um trying to get, you know, trying to make the decision. Am I going to be employed? Am I going to have a business? Well, if I'm going to have a business, I still got to take care of my, my 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 need for large bundles of toilet paper. Right. So I just my time, my bandwidth, it's just it's only so much. Um And so I just think that I think when the world stops Being on fire, hopefully, I'll be able to do it. Because I was like, well, because I I think I did tweet out a couple. Like, forget it. Let's just go back to tweeting out these articles. Because I used to tweet out the articles. I was like, no, I really do want to share those links with people who are committed to the project. That's kind of what I want to do. So, I I don't want to give up on it yet. So, please don't. Just just hang in. I don't know. Hang in there with me. Don't hang in there with me. But I'm going to hang in there. So, I'm not ready to call it quits. Um, but that article really just painted painted her, uh, painted, excuse me, just like, hey, there there's a, these are the three reasons why you're not emotionally connecting to your kid. And one of those reasons is that your kid is a shitty person. Your kid is a shitty person or your kid is not unloving and I think, as an INTJ child, I could see that. I could see that. I w- I wasn't em- I wasn't emotive enough. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I wasn't emotionally giving enough. And I think that that triggered my person because that was one of the things the article said. If you had your own traumatic childhood that wasn't healed, your child can trigger that stuff from your childhood. So I think that, that I think that that's valid. I think that makes makes a lot of sense to me. And because my person didn't do their own healing had me when um they were incredibly young then they didn't have access to the the the, the literacies that I have about wellness and psychology and sociology. They didn't have that. So they didn't understand what was going on. So I was showing up as in my INTJ self. And I was going I was a teenager. <laughs> and so that was triggering my person. And I I think that's one side of the story. That's one side of the story. And then there's another side of the story that it's one thing to be emotionally closed off from your child, and it's another thing to be straight up abusive. And not physically. It's, it's another thing to be verbally abusive and psychologically abusive. That's not just being cold, that's being mean. So, that's a fact. That is a fact. And that fact is what prevents me from dealing with the anguish that's on the inside of me. Because I have a deep anguish. I'm deeply sad. I'm deeply, 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 deeply sad and overwhelmed that she's gone. And yet, I cannot ex- I cannot access that emotion. Because the logic in me is saying she was hurtful. She was neglectful. How are you? How, how? What are you grieving? That doesn't even make any sense. And so, and and how shitty is it to feel really proud that I learned how to survive in that, and how I learned to survive in that relationship? It's how I then learn how to survive, deal with emotional, excuse me, romantic relationships and how to deal with friendship. I learned how to turn that side of myself off. The side that should be open to, to love. And I think I did that. I don't think I'm doing it now. So when my heart coach says, I don't think I'm doing it now. I really don't. But I did. That was a survival tactic. So. And I got to go. But one another article I found this morning was about 40 unrecognized emotions. And there were words to these. There are these 40 emotions that we don't recognize. But there are words. It was a really fascinating read. And one of those unrecognized emotions uh, was called dead reckoning. It's not the definition that I read, uh, read to you earlier. I'm going to give you this definition. Dead reckoning, according to these um, 40 unrecognized emotions, is to find yourself bothered by someone's death more than you would have expected. As if you assumed they would always be a part of the landscape, like a lighthouse you could pass by for years until the night it suddenly goes dark, leaving you with one less landmark to navigate by. Still able to find your bearings, but feeling all that much more adrift. And I think that that's probably, that's probably, that's probably the closest thing. That's probably the closest thing to how I'm feeling. To be bothered by someone's death more than I would have expected. I don't even know what I expected. I knew I was dreading it. I knew, I knew it was going to be devastating. As a matter of fact, I had more grief in anticipating the death. I had, excuse me, that's not true. I had more access to the grief when I was anticipating the death than I have access to the grief now that she's gone. I don't know what that means um to find yourself bothered by someone's death more than you would have expected as if you assumed that they would always be part of the landscape like a lighthouse you could pass by for years until that night it suddenly goes dark leaving you with one less landmark to navigate by i don't feel like i'm i'm dealing with the loss of navigating the relationship